This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it is Monday. Welcome to the program. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-THE-NUMBER-4, my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S. Looking forward to speaking with you guys throughout the evening tonight. And uh, today's Monday. That means yesterday was Father's Day. So uh, happy Father's Day to everybody out there. Happy belated Father's Day. I hope you had a great time. I know I did. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's, um, of course, there's plenty of things to talk about. But the, the main thing I noticed in the news today was how you had a visit from the Secretary of State to... Um, to, you know, to Asia. And yet the, the number one story on every news site had something to do with somebody I like to call El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente, Donald J. Trump. Now, and I was wondering to myself, why is it that Donaldus Magnus is the headline everywhere you go when he didn't do anything new, right? He didn't do anything new that he didn't do on Thursday or Wednesday when uh, I think he spoke on Tuesday, right? And then he gave a follow-up with a video on Wednesday. But I just, uh, I'm beside myself. And, and the reason I'm beside myself is because I realize they love to report on Trump because it's true. You know, he says, look, when I come on, I, they get the best ratings. They do. They, they really do. But it goes beyond that for me, right? I think it, it goes beyond that because we have a job to do. And look, I'm not a reporter. I'm not a journalist. I, I'm not here to, to tell you what the news is. I share the news with you because I reflect on it and give commentary on it and give my opinion and analysis on it. But uh, I'm, I'm not here to, to make news. And there are people that do have that job. And, and you would think that they would take other things into consideration, right? There was a very bloody um, weekend, uh, Father's Day weekend. There's lots of shootings in uh, many different places. And it, it just is one of those things. Cut number 14, 14. It's one of those things that I feel like, you know, we have to pay attention to everything, right? Reagan called on us to be informed patriots. But how can we be informed patriots if the news is all focused on Donald Trump and saying all sorts of things that, uh, you know, are contrary to what Donald Trump is saying, right? And thank God he gets so much coverage because, you know, it's fascinating. Look, I'm sure if you looked hard enough, and you probably wouldn't have to look that far, you'd find a bunch of people that don't like me, right? So just imagine, I'm just a lowly radio host now on national airwaves, used to be out of New York City, 
And I have enemies, right? I have adversaries, critics. Just imagine if you were El Trompito, a big developer, a big media personality, eventually became president of the United States. Of course, he's going to have adversaries, especially when you know his style, right? And Trump's style is one where he would give people a chance and play people against each other like he did in The Apprentice. And eventually he would say, look, so-and-so, you're terrific, you're smart, you're this, you're that, you're going to have a brilliant future, but you're fired. And he would fire people in the most eloquent way, and they'd usually thank him because they learned so much from working alongside him, and the, and the advice was priceless. But my point is, you, you, you build up a, a list of people that don't like you. And similarly, in, in the um, White House, there were some people that, that didn't work with Trump anymore. And honestly speaking, I think he was more gracious there because he didn't want to look political. So he didn't fire people, but he kind of let nature take its course. And now today you've got everybody that's a former disgruntled person uh, uh, from the White House, from the administration. Every last one of these people are the expert witness, if you will, right? You've got uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, right? Him and Bill Barr saw eye to eye until they didn't. And now he is the utmost expert on everything. They have him on every channel that opposes Trump. It's just to me, it's kind of laughable. Uh, like, why not? Just for, for time and uh, for, for just time and again, Bring somebody else that disagrees. If you've listened to this program for any amount of time, I've invited so many people onto this program and they have not honored my request, my invitation to come on this program. It's not like I have a line of liberals and, and, and uh, progressives that want to come on and share their side of the story. It just isn't the case. That's why I have so much audio and I make sure, painstakingly make sure that I don't give you t 10 seconds, 12 seconds. You know, I give you a minute, a minute and a half to give you the full context of what they're saying so that their side is told because I want you to hear what they have to say because I think it's important that you hear what they have to say, right? People like Joe El Baboso Biden or the other casts of characters that, you know, we don't hear too much from Nancy La Bruja Pelosi. Uh, but every now and again, we hear from AOC all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. And another person we're going to hear from now is Rashida Jones. I've got her on my cut list, cut number 14. She is the president of MSNBC. And in an interview with Axios today, uh, she says that sh she would put Trump on her television network. Now, I was expecting, honestly, for her to say, absolutely not. This man is dangerous. He's he's a threat to democracy. He's this, that. You know what? She wants those ratings, too. Everybody wants a piece of El Trompito because you know what? That's how you get good ratings. You bring on people that disagree with you and you have a conversation whether you agree or disagree. And that's why I always invite those people. And we've had some that have actually come on board and we've had those discussions. And I'm happy to have them because I think they're important. But listen to Rashida Jones, president of MSNBC with Axios. Listen to this. So I have a couple thoughts there. One, we're having conversations with all of the candidates across our entire news group about how to bring their point of view to the audience. There are lots of ways to do that, whether it's a live interview, whether it's a tape interview, whether it's a town hall, whether it's a debate. We still have 505 days left until Election Day. Counting down each day. Not that day. I'm counting. Um, and I think there are many ways that you can approach that. I don't know that a town hall uh, tomorrow is something that our audience is looking for, or any audience. But as you look at the next 505 days, I think you'll see a lot of that across the portfolio. But if Trump came to you specifically and says, I want to be on your air to do it, would you say yes? When I say yes today, it would be a conversation. I think you have to put parameters about how to control the environment. Yeah.
<laughs> so you have to so notice how she says, uh, listen, the answer is yes. She's going to take Trump and they're going to want to try and control his speech. They don't believe in free speech. We know that. Uh, they believe in speech that they like. But you know what? Even if they have to let him talk about whatever he wants to talk about and insulting them right to their face when he says, you're fake news, points to all of their cameras, which I think is pretty funny when he does it, they're going to take it because they know that they're going to blow away those ratings, right? They had one big week last week and um, where they, they took the 8, 8 p.m. slot because of the absence of Tucker Carlson. And uh, I guess Newsmax had been really uh, stepping up and filling in that gap. And MSNBC had a big day, and voila, they're now making the rounds, right? They're making their rounds all over the place to, to claim uh, their new king of the 8 p.m. slot. Now, I'll tell you, I don't claim to be the king of the 10 p.m. slot. I'll leave that for the people to decide. But I will say we are the only live program that's nationally syndicated this size in that time slot, 10 p.m. Eastern. And if you're on the West Coast, of course, that's 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific. And uh, I take it so seriously because I feel like you people need relevant, real-time information, you people being our wonderful audience. So I try to give that to you, and we're going to bring you some of that tonight. we got some excellent analysis coming your way. On Friday, after saying they weren't going to do it, they went ahead and did it. The Dodgers decided that they were going to go ahead and honor the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence males, right? These are men that dress as women, the drag queens, that portray themselves as nuns. It's a direct insult to the Catholic Church. Then they have pole dancers on a crucifix pretending to be Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get more offensive than this. And if you were tuned into Newsmax TV at any point this weekend, uh, I was on Saturday and Sunday on the Wendy Bell Show discussing some of that, and as well uh, as on Saturday Agenda with Kilmini Ducart. And there was lots to talk about. We talked about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Juneteenth, right? Because today is Juneteenth. And unlike some of the others that are off today, we are here. We're live. We're national. We're bringing you everything we've got. And we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk about espionage as well. Plus, we have somebody from the LGBTQ movement, someone that is a conservative, uh, that's saying, you know what? It's one thing to be gay. And it's another thing to push an agenda that's actually harmful to the people you're supposed to represent. And we're seeing a whole lot of that happen. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to have that conversation first with Nick Giordano, then with Emma Jo Morris and uh, Calder Walton about espionage. It's going to be an action-packed show. Don't miss any hour of this program. Make sure you get ready for the best three hours in talk radio, not because I'm doing it, but because you're a part of it. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. So over the weekend, you, you heard about the controversy last week about the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball organization and how they were expecting to honor a group of men that dress as Catholic nuns. And they put up a crucifix and they have bearded men um, dancing provocatively, twerking and pole dancing on the crucifix in, in an ab abhorrent, in my opinion, mockery of Christianity. 
a direct insult at Catholics and uh, those that are in the habit. And this is who they decided to um, honor as their community hero. Now, after a backlash from their own supporters, L.A. Dodger fans, they decided not to honor this group. But then about four hours before the game over the weekend, they said, you know what? We're going to do it anyway. And they brought the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to the field and they announced them. And one of them was on hand to do an interview with Red Liberty Media. This is about a minute long. I want you to hear this because it is breathtaking. Check this out. Not mocking. I'm using satire. You're absolutely mocking when you put Jesus on a cross and you pole dance on. Like our bullies, you are putting words in my mouth, and I really there, don't. Everybody's it. seen it. Everybody has seen it. Yes, everyone has seen the satire that we do, and then they describe it in these terms that make them. Oh, I'm being. I am telling you, as a Christian, as a Christian, that is extremely, extremely offensive. When I see my God on the cross, mocked. Offensive. You're using your God to make me. Look uh, to make me look foolish, to beat me up. Why can't you just say, yeah, that was wrong? You could just say, yeah, because that was it is wrong. it's not wrong to heal people who were beaten and shot for being gay and trans. How dare you, madam? How dare you shame us? He sounds like Greta Thunberg. How dare you? How dare you, madam? How dare you? Anyway, now, this um, sister, I think uh, the name is Sister Unity was going at it. And there's more of that. We'll play more of those clips later on. But this was a big deal. And again, we talked about it last week, but it continued and it continued. And then thousands ascended. And I mentioned that on the air uh, to, to protest this. And what, what, what I find remarkable is that in the wake of Target losing all this money, right? And again, not losing money per se, but you know, losing market share, market value. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, uh, taking a loss in their bank account. It means the total value of the company went down by that much as measured by the stock price. And the surprise uh, is that the stock has stayed down there, even as the broader stock market has gone up relatively well, about 20% since January. So it's interesting to see how, you know, Target... And, and, and other organizations that have, you know, uh, gone woke and gone broke have, have taken this hit. And yet you would think the Dodgers would take a, a lesson from that. But it makes you think maybe this is the battle they want to fall on their sword over. I don't know. I don't you know, I wish I could get somebody from the Dodgers to come on and, and say, you know, we decided to do this because they put out a statement and that's it. You know, you get a tweet if you're lucky. But ultimately, I think there are Catholics out there. There are people out there. There are political observers out there that really took issue with this and their voices were heard when they showed up en masse and blocked the entrance to Dodger Stadium. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the broader culture wars overall, as well as what's going on in uh, the college campuses across the country. And that's why I want to bring in a friend of the program, a friend of mine, Professor Nick Giordano is professor of political science at Suffolk Community College. He's also the host of the PAS Report podcast, and he is a uh, higher education fellow for campus reform. Professor Nick Giordano, welcome. Well, you didn't get a Dodger rap, but you got the next best thing. So, how are you doing, Rich? <laughs> What's up, brother? Welcome. So, let me uh, let me let's start with what we're uh, talking about here because I think it's uh, an interesting topic. 
where what we had been seeing in the in the college classroom, right, where your many of your colleagues at different campuses had the academic freedom to continue to push and push and push an agenda with no one pushing back on them. But now that's spilled over into popular culture, into sporting events. And they've pushed a little too far. They've hit a raw nerve. Catholics, Christians have spoken up. And here we are. What say you? Well, I think you're right, and I think that's why it's important to look at what goes on at college campuses, because ultimately what happens at college campuses bleeds into the rest of society, and all the bad ideas that come out are mostly from college campuses, as we're witnessing. You know, this idea, it's not necessarily the moron that, that does this act, that dress up like a nun and make a mockery of Catholicism. It's the Dodgers as an organization, and why are these organizations, whether it be the Dodgers, whether it's Target, whether it's Bud Light, why do they feel the need to bend over backwards for things that would have been absolutely ludicrous? You would never see companies behave this way 20 years ago. You wouldn't see companies behave this way 10 years ago. And yet now they feel that they have to bow down to the woke altar, and it's because if, if you look at who the staffing is. Kids that graduated college are now adults. They're now in these positions, and that's what's drawing in this insanity. Uh, but it has to come to a point where it just it's absurd. I mean, first of all, the Dodgers players themselves. I mean, let, let's Major League Baseball. You have an enormous Hispanic community in Major League Baseball. Many, yeah, of especially in Los Angeles. Families. Correct. And so, why would you insult your own players? Why would you insult your, your own? Uh, consumers, and it's because they don't care. They feel that they're the virtual, the public virtue signal is that uh, they're doing this to placate a fringe minority of people, but those fringe minorities have the loudest voices right now. Yeah, it really is uh, a, a, a shame. It's A, a shame, and B, it just is nonsensical to me. I find it so difficult to believe that, you know, look, we do radio here, right? And I, I say what I got to say. I'm not going to cater what I'm saying to any particular advertiser. But that being said, most people that are listening to this program enjoy it. And others listen because they like to fight with the radio. And that's fine. And the advertisers <laughs> are aware of who the audience is. So they're, they're, they go ahead and they advertise on the program because they're reaching the audience they want to reach. Right. So it makes sense. It's not about. um censorship in any way. It's really just about knowing your audience. And in my opinion, what is going on with the Dodgers that they decided, like, and you said, you know, you brought up a great point with Hispanics. I, I didn't even think of that, but it, it's, you know, I don't know. It's got to be in the 90s or in the high 80 percentile uh, Hispanics that are Christians, uh, let alone Catholics. So you're right. You've got players, you've got the people that live in the area that are, you know, season ticket holders and, and fans by and large, even though L.A.'s a liberal place, I think they, the proof is in the pudding. They showed up in mass to say, no mass, right? They didn't like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So we'll, uh, we'll hear a little bit more from that and continue our conversation with Professor Nick Giordano. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. High octane action in the dust, a new film puts... Our in- staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Why do you think this has become a passion project of some conservatives? I continue hearing people making the argument that we're doing it because we want to prevent our students from having discomfort or guilt. Because we don't want our students to be able to really wrestle with these really difficult things in times when they're maturing as individuals and difficult historical points. But the thing I realize, and I wanted to speak out about it, is that's actually not true. It's, it's, it's a guise. It's not about making kids uncomfortable. It's not saying. about making kids feel uncomfortable. It's about telling other kids that they shouldn't understand their own power. It's castrating them. All right, so that's Governor Wes Moore. He's the governor of Maryland. And he says that this is castrating kids. Book banning, right? Saying that we shouldn't have questionable material, the books that talk about fellatio between adults and children, uh, which they they call that LGBTQ in a lot of places, by the way. Um, In other places, like the law, they call it rape. But anyway, statutory rape. This is the conversation that Wes Moore is having with Jen Circleback-Pasaki, former White House press secretary turned MSNBC host, and they're having this conversation where she's saying, this isn't about making kids uncomfortable, is it? And he says, no, no, this is about castrating the ones that feel different. I mean, it, the whole thing is, is a farce, and if it wasn't so serious, it'd be laughable. Anyway, this is what's going on in the education sector, right? We've got more and more of an encroachment on the classroom with social agendas. It's not about teaching your kids about life and about becoming productive members of society that can maintain employment uh, or start a business. No, now it's about teaching them what you should be teaching them at home and probably would if you had the chance, but they're just going so far out into left field with all these new ideas, including sexual experimentation and whatnot. It really is remarkable what's happening in this day and age. So our guest, Professor Nick Giordano uh, from Suffolk Community College in New York, is with us, and he's got a brand-new column uh, just out about a week and a half ago on campusreform.org, how the Biden administration is politically weaponizing higher education. Professor Nick Giordano, tell us about it. Well, what people don't understand is that the uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, one of the great presidents of the United States, actually warned us uh, about the nation's scholars and that the amount of federal dollars that's going to trickle into the university system through uh, grant funding 
is going to severely manipulate this country. It's going to manipulate how these institutions operate and the influence that these institutions have, and it creates an unholy alliance. It's funny because in Eisenhower's uh, farewell address, everyone remembers his line about the military-industrial complex. Never once did he talk about the academic or educational industrial complex. People forget that he warned about it, that complex as well. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the Biden administration has sought to weaponize this. So the article centers around the media research center story where they found that Homeland Security grant funding is going to universities. One of them in particular was the University of Dayton. And in the grant application itself, they used materials that linked Fox News, the Heritage Foundation, the Christian Broadcasting Network, as the seeds of extremism. And then one <laughs> level below white supremacist organizations was PragerU and Turning Point USA and the Blue Lives Matter movement. They're one step below white supremacy. So it really goes to show you an agenda is being pushed because a few months ago I published another op-ed, that one was in Fox News through Campus Reform, and what it showed was, again, grant funding being used for colleges and universities to build out a censorship database, to build out a system that is designed to track and suppress information that the government may deem disinformation or misinformation. So it's a dangerous territory that not many people are paying attention to, this alliance that's been created between the university campuses and the federal government. Professor Nick Giordano, I mean, this is a pretty serious problem. I know that you're not new to this, right? You've been in the classroom uh, for, you know, two decades teaching. You've worked with the government in the emergency management capacity and Homeland Security, and now we're seeing this actually take root, right? It's, uh, it, does this shock you like it's shocking me? It does, and that's why, you know, when I was in the emergency management Homeland Security arena, we, we got grant funding all the time. We got emergency preparedness grants I worked on. I worked on uh, urban area security initiative grants, and never once did we target ideological Democrat or Republican ideological points of view in saying that that was the seeds of extremism. So the times have certainly changed since I left the emergency management and homeland security field. It seems like almost every tool that was created after 9-11 has now been turned into a weapon against political opposition. And I think that's the most frightening aspect. We're seeing the complete weaponization of higher education. We're seeing the weaponization of our schools with the brainwashing. That is, it's no longer indoctrination. It's now brainwashing. When you're pushing these books on little children, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, Schools always censored the books that were in elementary schools and and middle schools because it's age-appropriate material for the student Mm -hmm. body. And there was a separation. There was things that parents are supposed to speak to their children about that the schools wouldn't get involved in. And yet we're seeing this push to try and cut the parents out. You just had the Southern Poverty Law Center label the Moms for uh, Liberty group an extremist organization. Now, I hope they sue like uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali did and where she won and defeated them. But it really is astonishing that normal conservative viewpoints are now being labeled as far-right extremism. Even moderate viewpoints are being labeled as far-right extremism. And it goes to the first segment when we were talking about that's why you have these nuns going to Dodger Stadium and the Dodger Corporation inviting them to, to come to the stadium. That's why Target 
is is doing what it's doing. That's why Bud Light did the dilemma of anything. Um, it, you have these loons that are controlling everything, and unfortunately, they're using it to bludgeon their political opposition. Unbelievable. Now, we we see that you have the the Southern Poverty Law Center saying that these are extremist groups. And we know that the Department of Justice labeled parents with, with a, a EDU threat tag saying that, you know, parents at school board meetings, uh, you know, we needed to be aware of what was going on and they were tracked and whatnot. But do you see this ending, turning around, improving, or is that it? It's, it's if you speak up now, you're public enemy number one. Well, I think the more people that speak out, the better it is, because it's it's easy to silence when just a handful of people are speaking out, and it's easy to play whack-a-mole. But when most people are speaking out, and I'm talking about getting Democrats to speak out as well, because this could easily be turned around on them, and it could be used to target them as well. So when more people are speaking out, it becomes much more difficult. Now, the main avenue, the main vehicle to, to fix many of these, to, to right some of these wrongs, is through Congress. And it's to start to defang these bureaucratic agencies that have grown so powerful that they, they simply do what they want. Nobody's ever held accountable, whether it's the FBI and the FBI leadership, whether it's the NIH, whether it's Lord Fauci, whoever it may be, nobody's ever held accountable. If you start holding these people accountable, then you'll start to correct the system. You'll, you'll start to bring the system back to its original intent, which is limited government. Congress could easily begin to remove the power from these uh, bureaucratic agencies because they do have the power of oversight and they have the power of the purse. Yet they've shown no real will to actually do that just yet. Why? I can't answer that question. Because, again, are they afraid of these bureaucratic agencies? But I can't answer that question. One of the most shocking things was in 2015 when the CIA was literally monitoring sitting members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Mm-hmm. When that came out, that the Senate was outraged, yet they didn't do one thing to try and reform the CIA, to punish anyone within the CIA. I mean, someone should have been arrested for that and gone to jail for that. You can't spy on sitting members of the United States Senate. They tried to take down a sitting president, as we all saw with the whole Russian collusion thing. So when you have these agencies that are this powerful and nobody's doing anything about it, it is really concerning. When you have Senator Chuck Schumer warning that the intel community and the law enforcement community has six ways of Sunday to get back at you, that's really concerning. Because who's supposed to be in charge of the system? Well, it's supposed to be the people through their elected representatives, but it seems that the nameless, faceless bureaucrats are the ones that are driving everything. Scary stuff. Professor Nick Giordano, I want you to stick with us. I want to talk about uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, right? So this is now spilling over into our foreign policy where it seems like it's a game of appeasement. He goes over to Asia, comes back saying, you know what? She's not such a bad guy. We like China. If a uh, strong China is very good for America and we're not necessarily committed to Taiwan. Crazy stuff. Nick Giordano, stick with us, folks. We're coming right back. 8334-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. On Taiwan, I reiterated the long-standing U.S. one-China policy. Uh, that policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences. We remain committed to meeting our responsibilities under the Taiwan Relations Act, including making sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself. All right, welcome back. That's Secretary Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, uh, discussing his trip to Asia, his conversations with uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping. And while we've suspected uh, all the while that Biden and this administration will turn their backs on Taiwan and any assurances that may have been promised in the past, uh, they remain committed to the one China policy. I mean, next it, it, we'll hear that, you know, they're, they're signing on to, to domestic Chinese policy, saying they endorse that. Nick Giordano, what say you? I say it's amateur hour over at the State Department and in this White House. I mean, the reality is when we did the one China policy back in 1979, it was to recognize that the People's Republic of China was the legitimate government of China. However, it wasn't about formally recognizing them having uh, sovereignty or controlling the sovereignty of Taiwan. In fact, in 1980, we did the Taiwanese Defense Act where we, we backed them. Uh, now, our China policy when it comes to Taiwan has always been ambiguous, and that's the point. It, it, you know, you want to keep the Chinese leadership off guard about exactly what we're going to do. Yet, when it comes to this administration, I mean, I, does Tony Blinken want to really telegraph, hey, go into Taiwan, take it over, control 90 percent of the semiconductors out there, increase your power in the Pacific? Uh, this it really isn't a good time for Tony Blinken to make that type of statement. And I have a feeling that by tomorrow, that statement's going to be walked back to a certain degree, uh, as, as diplomatically as it can be. But it, it really reminded me back in December of 2021 when President Biden said, well, small invasion into the Ukraine by Russia isn't really that big of a deal. And obviously, that was a bit paraphrased, but that's pretty much what he said. Uh, I, I think this is like the same situation, right? Saying, you know, that, hey, we're not going to sit there and talk about Taiwanese independence. We recognize China as a, the legitimate government. I think it is a real problem for this administration. I don't think that they're prepared to be dealing with people like Xi Jinping. I mean, let's face it, the, the Chinese leadership has been making gains for the last 35, 40 years. They've made huge strides, and they've increased their power over the course of the last three years under this administration dramatically. I mean, they, they are the competitor to the United States, the main competitor of the United States. Now, we still have leverage over China. I mean, we, we buy 18% of our exports. The United States is the most materialistic culture that exists, China's second, and we buy a lot of stuff from China. So we do have a lot of economic leverage over China because they have 1.3 billion mouths to feed. They can't make up for the loss of the United States. At the same time, we have to rely on China because we need cheap goods. 
Now, you would think that we, alarm bells went off during COVID. Hey, everything's being made over in China, including prescription drugs. Maybe we should right. start to find other countries to make it. All the Congress people were complaining about that, and yet they didn't do a damn thing to try and figure this out to start to decrease our dependency, to turn to China and say, hey, you know, if you try and challenge us, well, you will lose us as one of your biggest consumers. Instead, we continually bow to them. Now, the theory was always that if we open up to China, China is eventually going to become more like the United States. They're going to become more free. You're going to see liberty. Well, the exact opposites have happened, right? Since our relationship with China continues, it seems like our governments are becoming more like them, are they not? Where they become more authoritarian, more dictatorial. So we got a real problem, and unfortunately, we don't have the right leadership to really challenge the Chinese regime right now. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Folks, we're on with Professor Nick Giordano, uh, professor of political science at Suffolk Community College. Uh, he's also the higher reform, uh, higher education fellow at Campus Reform, excuse me. And uh, Professor Nick Giordano, excellent conversation. I want you to let everybody know how they can follow you, how they could listen to your, your podcast, tell them about the podcast, where they could get it, and how they could uh, keep up to speed with the work you're doing. Well, everyone go to PASReport.com. That's where you'll find the podcast. They go to CampusReform.org, and it's important that we check out Campus Reform because, let's face it, they're the ones keeping us surprised of what's going on on the college campuses. And I do have a new piece coming out this week. should be going out in Fox News talking about everything that we're witnessing today is because of the death of civics and history in the classroom in the K-12 system, and then once we get to the college system, it gets 10 times worse with speech codes and bias reporting systems, and that's why 29% of young people, Generation Z, says it's okay for governments to put cameras in your homes to monitor you, which is probably one of the most frightening statistics I ever saw. Man, that explains all the incels out there. Folks, Professor (laughs) Nick Giordano is amazing. Make sure you follow him at PAS Report on Twitter and the rest of the social media. Professor Nick Giordano, thanks for being here. Godspeed. Thank you for having me, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, we're continuing with your calls and more on these topics and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our telephone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833, the number four, my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S, or you could chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And let's check in with Lance calling us from Galloway, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Go right ahead, Lance. Hey, good evening, Rich. I'm really uh, sad or disappointed I wasn't able to pop a question off to your last guest. I wanted to I'm know sorry how about that. not one... Not one of Biden's uh, sort of like uh, point men and women seem to uh, are held accountable or responsible or even considered to be let loose. It's like they have tenure and they can't get out. And that's one of the big problems with the entire educational field, because if you don't cut it 
they find a way to keep you there, whether or not you are, uh, put it this way, efficacious or inept. <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at all the characters that Biden has in his foreign uh, de- foreign policy department, uh, Austin Milley, Milley, Austin, uh, uh, Victoria Newland, Blinken, and you got Kirby. These people are, without a doubt, if if you had to give them an example, like uh, when you had to ask uh, Ken J. Jackson, what is a woman? If you had yeah. to ask them, these people, what is a sentence? Well, a sentence is a group of words that express a complete thought and it stands <laughs> on its own. And unfortunately, all the five of those people should remember one of my best classroom disciplinary lines. A closed yep. mouth gathers no feet. That's true. And you know what, Lance? It's what Professor Giordano said. It's amateur hour in the Biden administration. Thank you, Lance, for the call. We're coming straight back with the rest of the program. Hour number two is coming right up. Don't move a muscle. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm happy to be here with you this Monday evening. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S. Now, there's a few different things going on. Of course, all eyes on Trump uh, with uh, John Durham set to testify on the Russiagate investigation this week. Uh, you've got Hunter Biden, who uh, set up an account with a corrupt foreign bank and shut it down for breaking money laundering rules. <laughs> so uh, that's why it got shut down. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, plus, uh, Judge Cannon has ordered Trump and his lawyers not to share any evidence ahead of the classified documents trial. Uh, as things continue to shape up with that, we'll bring you all of the, the latest on that. And um, we're continuing our conversation on the story that broke, I think it was on Friday, of the Dodgers. And uh, over the weekend, that continued with uh, its ripple effect. Uh, people are still very upset with this. And overall, I think there's a response to Pride Month. And an interesting response is from a particular individual I was just reading about. And here's a quote from something they wrote. It said, I used to hate pride, probably for all the same reasons any conservative scoffs at it. It's a loud, obnoxious, overhyped, 
corporatized, sexualized, awkward holiday. But to me, it was personal. Growing up conservative and proud to be American, she writes, I rolled my eyes at the parades and flags, and then it occurred to me that as I got a little bit older, she realized she was gay herself. Yes, total dread, total horror. She has to be associated with that. She couldn't bear it. I mean, it, just riveting article, and, and I figured rather than me uh, share tidbits of it, I want the author of the article to join us in our conversation. Now, she's been on the program before. She's actually the editor at the New York Post that put out that Hunter Biden laptop story that was censored by Twitter and would have been a game changer back in October um, of 2016. Her name is Emma Jo Morris. She's now the politics editor at Breitbart.com. Emma Jo Morris, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be back. You bet. Thank you. And uh, I was reading your piece, and I, I think it's, it's a fascinating piece. Um, tell us about your personal experience of uh, being of the LGBTQ community, but still feeling like this uh, Pride Month celebration is is overdone in so many ways and the harm you feel it's causing. Well, yeah. So, you know, that was what the piece was really, you know, it started, it's a personal essay of sorts that, that I published as a column on Breitbart. And, um, you know, I came up, you know, conservative, obviously I was, I've been conservative from birth <laughs> and, uh, and I always found pride month just absurd and ridiculous. You know, what's the celebration about? Nobody earned anything. You know, why are we talking about this? Why are we calling attention yeah. to this? A lot of that. And then, you know, obviously it occurred to me that I was gay and I was just mortified. You know, obviously I was mortified about that, but I was also really mortified with the cultural connotation now that this part of me had. Um, you know, obviously I'm not one of those people at all that thinks that my identity as a homosexual has anything whatsoever to do with my character or my personality. You know, I hope that that's the least interesting thing about me, <laughs> um, right. but, but, you know, it's still part of who I am, you know, and, and when you come out, like people know that, Oh, she's gay, you know, and, and I was terrified of that, you know, indicating something about me because of the culture and people assuming things about me because of that culture. And, uh, and, and I eventually got married you know, obviously years after I realized that I was gay and came out and all that. And, and my wife is very conservative, you know, conservative, she's not political, but you know, she's very traditional. Um, you know, she was raised with God. She's very patriotic, you know, and she's so, so normal, you know what I mean? She's just super cool, just like not, not crazy in any direction politically. And, um, she wished me happy pride when we first got together. And I kind of thought that was funny. I'm like, you're not the type of person to be into this. Like, what are you talking about? And, and she said like, you know, it's not that I'm into this. Like she was like, pride is a celebration and an honoring of the civil rights achievements of, you know, Americans. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kind of like thought that was kind of funny and we had this conversation back and forth. And then I ended up looking into it myself because I wasn't totally familiar with the gay cause. Obviously it never was something that appealed to me personally, really other than my own proclivity, but um, not politically, that's for sure. And, uh, and I started to look into it and it's true. It's like in my, in my mother's lifetime since the fifties, you know, in the fifties, gays were, were, it was, it was a crime. It was a crime. 
and they were evicted from their homes and they were kicked out of the, you know, fired from their jobs and kicked out of social clubs and ejected from polite society just for this, you know, what to me is an immutable characteristic. I would never choose this. And, and I've I spent years, you know, trying to run away from it. And, and to me, this is not something that's in your control. Um, so I, I, you know, found that really interesting. And, you know, you look into it in this history, there's this like really intense history of like, you know, a civil rights crusade. And it's not only gays that were in that crusade, you know, it's the American people that grant that, that equality. And they did do that in, in remarkable time. So, you know, that's what pride is really about. And it's just been totally bastardized by this political interest group, the big LGBTQ political interest group that that just needs new frontiers to raise money off of. So they so they kind of um, scandalize homosexuality and, and, and that, you know, obviously takes shape in pride. But no, like this is a holiday that actually celebrates the American people and their their remarkable tolerance, acceptance and love for their fellow American. And and. What I'm gathering here is uh, in your own journey um, as as part of the LGBT community, although you don't participate, uh, you've realized that what's happening now, what you see in this overdone, overhyped, overpoliticized um, month long celebration is that it's kind of being done in vain. It's it's being done. It's causing well, that's more harm it, than exactly. good. Exactly. It's on the one hand, it calls like crazy attention to this thing that doesn't mean anything about the person's character, i.e. their sexual preferences um, and who they decide to marry and whatever. I mean, you know, like it calls all this attention to something that, that we literally the whole civil rights crusade was to say, we want to be just normal people, you know, just treat us normally. And now all of a sudden we've gone to a place where no, we actually need special privileges. We need you to raise a special flag at the white house. You know what I mean? Like it's it, so that's one thing. Then it also marginalizes people like me who are terrified of coming out because they don't want to be drafted for some esoteric political battle that doesn't mean anything to them. You right. know, so that's one thing. And then and then on the other hand, you know, as a result of all of this, you have this backlash that I'm seeing everywhere where, you know, they've decided that there is a community called LGBTQIA plus to whatever, whatever, whatever. It's a very long letters in the acronym of, yeah, yeah, of people that have nothing to do with each other. I have nothing to do with the trans experience. I mean, I don't have any animosity toward them. I just have nothing to do with them. I, I don't connect with that experience at all. I don't get it at all. That's, that has nothing to do with homosexuality. And I actually well, and you know, I, I want to pause that. right there because I want to that's what yeah. I want to delve into is really. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot of groups have hijacked this movement. And and I think it's all for political purposes. And I'd like your feedback on that. Folks, we're on with Emma Joe Morris, politics editor at Breitbart News. Uh, she was the political editor for the New York Post when uh, the Hunter Biden story came out. And that was a story that um, she was the editor on. And she's going to continue with us discussing uh, her latest piece titled Pride has been destroyed by the LGBTQ machine, but the achievement of equal civil rights is worth honoring. Emma Jo Morris continues with us straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
How dare you shame us in our own Pride Festival, madam? We're in public, one. We're yes, on a public street. In Pride, yes. In, in the middle of West Hollywood, in the Pride Festival, when we should all be celebrating. We can have differences, and you can tell I'm angry. We should be able to talk about our Why are you angry about me saying, look, I'm a Christian? When you put someone mimicking Jesus on a cross and pole dance him, that's offensive to me. That is deeply offensive. Why Why does, is that wrong to you for me to say that? We're not making a mockery of them. Satire is not making a mockery of someone to offend those people. That's offensive. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, that's how it is interpreted because that's what it is. You can sit here all day and say, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. But that is what you're doing. That's Natalie Carey interviewing Sister Unity from the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence uh, this this uh, past few days ago at Dodger Stadium, um, and that's on Red Liberty Media. Now, uh, I, I played that because I feel that there has been an encroachment on the gay and lesbian movement community, uh, or the pride celebration, if you will, that has really taken a, a twist, right, for for both not only the trans movement, I'm going to say, but really what the trans movement lately represents, in my opinion, is the constant barrage on exploring this with children, right? Children, uh, what they call gender affirming care and and trying to lump everybody into one uh, fell swoop, if you will, uh, making it like one voting block of people. And as I speak about this more and more, I meet more and more people from this community. We've had, um, other people uh, that uh, uh, Brandon Strzok was on recently, uh, a gay man saying, you know, absolutely not. This stuff is crazy. We're, we're, nobody's here trying to recruit kids. Uh, yet there is part of the movement that seems to be doing that. And and this is why I think people are are up in arms like Emma Jo Morris that are saying, you know, enough is enough. Th- this isn't what what I stand for. Emma Jo Morris, welcome back. I'd, I'd like your feedback on. Uh, not why, but more so how, like how did this movement that's so heavily focused on, on youth and children uh, gain control over the LBGTQ agenda? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's obviously a political move. You know, this is a movement that at one point had a very noble cause in my opinion, which is just achieving, you know, civil rights and equality for all American citizens, whether they are straight or gay or blue or green, that every American citizen ought to have the same rights, be treated the same, you know, acknowledge the same. Exactly. Of course. Right. Yes, of course. You know, I'm talking about a homosexual here. This is not, you know, I'm not talking about <laughs> kids or anything like that. I'm talking right, about because that's the argument people. they make, right? That kids should have the same right and they should be able to get married. And I mean, it's well, crazy that's stuff it. that I've So heard. what I was going to say is like, you know, around like 2015, around the gay marriage ruling, you know, by the Supreme Court and, and around then too, you know, you were having broad social acceptance of gays in society and you know, the the reason for existence of the LGBT, let's say, or gay lobby kind of ended. And then I think from there, you know, it's not like they just pack up and go home. This is a huge fundraising apparatus. This is a huge political apparatus. Um, so they had to move on to kind of like a new frontier. And that's what I think the expanding acronym is. It's um, mm. an ever is an ever broadening mission for a fundraising apparatus and for a political apparatus. And that's, I think, where we are. But, you know, the thing about the LGBTQ, whatever, I think really it's important for listeners and the American people to understand, first of all, 
there is nothing whatsoever in common between each of those letters in the acronym. Gays and lesbians, okay, even though, you know, they are quite different, but okay, let's make a community of them. You know, you want to throw in bisexuals. I don't really understand why that needs a special interest, but fine. Okay, I can I can deal with that. But then after that, after the LGB, you've lost me. You've totally lost me. Mm. Again, not because I have any animus toward any American citizen. I don't. You know, I right, don't. You're just and saying you don't see the affinity. I just don't see the connection. In fact, I think that the trans ideology actually undermines the homosexual experience completely because the trans ideology says that gender is is um, fluid and that you can kind of choose your gender no matter what your sex is. And the homosexual experience is that, no, you're only attracted to people of the same sex and that sex is immutable. And, you know, conversion therapy tried to explore, you know, maybe just, you know, closing your eyes and, uh, and not bothering with, with sex and how important it is. No, that does not work. That is exactly the antithesis of what it means to be a homosexual. So the trans and the gays have nothing whatsoever in common. But what's going on is they've been grouped together, and now the trans ideology or, or political, you know, machine um, has decided that they have to make every single person in America basically, like, bend the knee to an ideology that doesn't resonate with reality. And, and this is all under the name of, of the LGBTQ quote-unquote community, which, again, nothing in common, let alone, like, like representing gays. This is absurd. So, you know, I think that this debate really needs to be reframed. This is not a LGBT versus straight conversation. This is a sane versus insane conversation. If you talk to, and, and listen, I have, since I published this piece on Breitbart that, that you read at the top of the last segment, I have mm-hmm. been contacted by everybody under the sun um, who is gay, straight, whatever, but a do lot they of hate gay you people. Or do they love you? No. So a lot of gay liberals reached out to me and said, like, this says exactly what I felt and couldn't say myself. And you, you know, have there to was understand, a big backlash. This is not a gay issue. This gay, this twerking on kids right. in public libraries and stuff, that's not a gay thing. That is an right. insanity thing. <laughs> yeah, no, and you're right. And I, 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 I totally get where you're coming from with that because uh, I think we saw the same, um, the same scenario, if you will, with um, Rose Montoya, a trans activist that went topless with a few others at the White House. Yes. And the White House said, you can't do that. You're banned. And then they said, oh, I'm sorry. I was just trying to live my joy. And and then again, uh, gays. Right. I'm going to I'm calling them gays because for lack of any better word. Uh, but other members of the LGBTQ community said, oh, hell no. Like you're setting us back here. You're turning back the clock on all the advancement that we tried to make. And well, that's what's terrible. It's like in and the she 70s, had to apologize again. Yeah. Like in the 70s and the 80s, um, even in the 60s, like you know, when the civil rights movement was kind of picking up for gays, like, you know, the, the conversation was around the family and the attack on the family and the, and the attack on children. And, you know, thank God, you know, the point prevailed that nobody is trying to come for your children. Listen, when you're gay, you don't need a recruitment center at school. You know it. And nobody is under the impression that we should be going and picking children up and involving them in any of this. This is, this is, this is a conversation for, for somebody between them and God, you know, and that's the truth. This is a struggle that is highly personal and there's absolutely no reason that one would need to be recruited to, to this 
club. And there's absolutely no reason why this needs to be a, pu- a topic of public conversation anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's we're done. We're good. And what you're seeing with all of this stupid activism is an attempt to gin up controversy for the sake of fundraising. And that is all. And that has nothing to do with people who are typically normal taxpayers. Right. Emma Jo Morris is politics editor at Breitbart. Thank you for sharing your truth and for clarifying and shedding light on this. Uh, definitely something I had not looked at this way. Excellent piece. You guys should check it out. Uh, get her perspective on it. Thank you, Emma Jo Morris, for being with us. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about spying and the battle between the East and the West. Don't go anywhere. To spy or not to spy, that is the question. Now, interestingly, uh, President Biden, or who I like to call Joe El Baboso Biden, was at Andrews Air Force Base. And they made this change a while back. They, they call them now Joint Base, you know, when they close the bases. I think it's the silliest thing. But he was at Joint Base Andrews, uh, which is really Andrews Air Force Base, on Saturday. <clears throat> and he says that the China spy balloon which they say was a weather balloon, uh, wasn't really intentional. Listen to this. Hi, China, Mr. President. Um, can uh, Secretary Blinken ease tensions with China on this trip, do you think? Sure, well, look. Um, China has some legitimate difficulties unrelated to the, unrelated to the United States. And... Uh, I think one of the things that, that balloon caused was not so much that it got shot down, but I don't think the leadership knew where it was and knew what was in it and knew what was going on. Was, I think it was more embarrassing than it was attention. Of course, that's President Joe Biden saying, well, you know, because, you know, I got hairy legs and because you can't go into a Dunkin Donuts if you don't have a slight Indian action. You know, one of those crazy things, he says. And. He basically um, is saying that, look, President uh, Xi Jinping never really meant to fly a spy balloon over sensitive American military sites, some that had uh, nuclear capabilities. So, uh, you know, that that wasn't uh, intentional, you know. And again, the quote you heard, I don't think the leadership knew where it was and knew what it was and knew what was going on, is what he said uh, as he was headed for Philadelphia, the campaign for his 2024 reelection. And, of course, ending with, I think it was more embarrassing than uh, intentional. Now, Biden's been saying that since the beginning. Like, I don't know if you remember, but I know I do. Uh, During the 2016 campaign, he did a CNN town hall. And on that CNN town hall, Biden was asked a question. I wish we had that clip. That was such an interesting, uh, very um, telling clip where he's asked by the moderator. uh, They say, well, you know, China has had this, you know, forced labor policy and, uh, against Uyghur Muslims, and um, there's rumors that, that they're exterminated. And Biden's answer, you know, with his hands in his pocket, kind of like sh- shrugging his shoulders is, uh, 
Well, you know, uh, everybody has cultural differences. And, uh, you know, basically, look, in China, that's how they do. Right? In China, they kill people. You know? What's your problem? Right? <laughs> What's up with you? And, and listen, I, I get to each his own. I really do. But when it comes to killing people, I mean, these are legitimate human rights abuses. Nobody uh, is allowed to kill other people because you have different laws than we do. <laughs> that just isn't a thing. That's one of those things that is universal. And you should be allowed to live your life without being killed by your government. And and the fact that he just, you know, shrugged it off the way he did very dismissively uh, told me that, you know what, he's not willing to take on China. And I knew it then, and we've seen it every day since. And, you know, when he says things like he's hoping over the next couple of months that um, he'll be meeting with Xi again, talking about their legitimate differences, yada, yada, yada. Uh, of course, this is this is not a legitimate difference. This is. And if you want to call it a legitimate difference, then call it you sent a spy balloon to my country and you're going to have to pay the price. I, you know, like I've always said, um, and forgive me for being crass, but if somebody's punching you in the face. Your immediate reaction should not be, why are you punching me in the face? It doesn't really matter why they're punching you in the face. The bottom line is that they are. So your immediate reaction has to be to get them off of you and punch them back, right? So clearly that's what Biden needs to do. If you're walking down the street, somebody just starts pounding your jaw. No, sir, you're not allowed to hit me in the face. I'm going to hit you back, right? We're going to stop you from hitting me and I'm going to hit you back. They're, they're, you're not allowed to say, what the heck are you doing? What's going on? I mean, you're allowed to do it, but it would be the silliest thing ever. Where's the logic in that? Who cares? They're hitting you in the face. You can find out later if it really matters to you that much doesn't really matter to me. I don't care. if. The, oh, my gosh, I thought you were somebody else. You look like the guy that's messing around my wife. Who cares? You're, you've hit me in the face, sir. I'm hitting you back. And, and I think this is where we go wrong, where Biden doesn't react to anything in kind. Instead, he shrugs it off. He's dismissive, and we just move on. And then he has his lackey, who's no better, right? Of course, um, I'm talking about uh, Anthony Blinken who, you know, we heard earlier him saying that uh, we don't support Taiwan, but he went on to say in Beijing today that where there is growth and progress in China, it's in our interest. You know, to me, I get the connotation here that if they succeed in China, we succeed in the U.S. Now, there may be somebody that uh, some out there that believe that, thinking that, you know, we have this 20 percent interest or 18 percent interest in trade. Uh Granted, I get that. And there's a lot of plastic items that come out of China, a lot of apparel items that come out of China. But ultimately, I think we win in the long run if we sever ties with China. I don't know. Maybe I'm an extremist. You want to argue with me, feel free. But listen to Anthony Blinken at the news conference today in Beijing, China. The economic relationship with China is vitally important. And also, when it's fair, um, a very positive thing for countries around the world. And at a time when countries are trying to rebound from, from COVID, something the United States has done very successfully, uh, we want to see growth. We want to see success in every part of the world, uh, including, of course, in the major economies like China. It's in our interest. Um, but at the same time, as I said, it's not in our interest to provide technology to China that could be used against us. Yeah, so uh, again... Talking out of both sides of his mouth. And again, I, I understand that's kind of what politicians, especially diplomats, are supposed to do. But 
you know, when you're suggesting that we are closing the chapter on the spy balloon so that we can, you know, wish the best for China, because that good old one China policy and forget Taiwan and it's all about China and and making peace and making nice. And I'm looking at all these pictures all day long of the body language between Blinken and Xi Jinping. And he, he just looks so submissive around him and toward him. And things like that embarrass me. I, I got to be honest. You know, I, I, I loved the way Trump handled himself, um, you know, chest out, firm stance. You know, he, he, he portrayed a solid America, an America that meant business. And, and I feel like Biden just sends such a message of weakness. And then you combine that with news every day where people are saying, oh, he's taken this and he bribed us for that and he's involved in this and we gave his son the money for that and then his daughter and then this one and the other one. I mean, it's just so disappointing and demoralizing and I get it. Nobody wants to feel that badly about their own country and about their their commander in chief. But then you look at a guy like Blinken and you think, oh my gosh, Biden's the epitome of strength next to a guy like Blinken. It's just... um, in Spanish, there's a saying, you go from Guatemala to Guatapayol, right? From Guatabad to Guataworse. <laughs> it sounds funnier in Spanish. Anyway, uh, that's my take on Blinken. I think that he's the wrong guy for the job. He's capitulating to China, and they can be as capricious as they want to be because they know that he'll take it. And Biden takes it just the same. And that's got to stop. Anyway, your calls and more are coming up. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and our phone lines are open. We're going to your calls momentarily, and uh, I see there's a few calls online already. I'm going to get to you in a second. I just wanted to share uh, some 2024 news. I just saw a report that says that you have Jordan Peterson. Uh, Professor Jordan Peterson had done a report with you can ignore Mr. Um, he did a, uh, an interview with RFK Jr. And in this interview that he did with Jordan Peterson, it aired on YouTube. And YouTube has already taken the interview down because they say that it violated their vaccine policy. Fascinating, right? Isn't that fascinating? Anyway, um, I just think that that's just a crazy town. Anyway, let's go to Joel. He's in Johnson City, Tennessee, WJCW. Joel, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. 
Well, good morning, and thank you. I, I don't want to seem snarky or insulting, but I, I want to phrase something. It's a question. I don't believe it's ignorance, and I hope it's not propagandistic, but you and, and other talk radio, especially on the right, phrases, they, they couch the left and Biden as being stupid, being ignorant, being incompetent. Uh, I don't believe that's the case. I mean, we're not talking about a Chamberlain who had a policy of appeasement. We're talking about people who are doing exactly what they want. And I'm going, I can give you any issue that you want to throw at me. And they've accomplished... No, I'm not really interested in debating you. you. You called in and you made your statement that uh, you're saying others, maybe not me. I, I haven't... I've, I'm criticizing Biden and Blinken for doing things that I'm categorizing as missteps, but I'm not saying that they're blundering idiots and they're doing so accidentally. I realize it's nefarious. This is exactly what they want to do. It's strategic and this is what they do because Biden is a pacifist who is, in my opinion, sold out to China. So he's he's happy to go along with their agenda. And Blinken is his lapdog that does as he's told. Well, it's the way you couched it. I agree exactly with what you said, that he looks weak in his posture and and this and that. And that, that connotes, it implies to a certain degree that he's not able to do what he's intending to do. But I believe he's doing exactly, as you just said, what he's intending to do. Yeah, no, good point. Uh, you're, and you're right. And I do think that he portrays weakness. Uh, and I think that's probably just a, a natural part of his pacifistic nature and, and, and the way he is. Because, you know, why not look like a pansy if you've got your hand out and your, and your bag man, a.k.a. Hunter Biden, out there collecting every last dollar that he can collect on the way? So good point. Thank you, Joel, in Johnson City, Tennessee, WJCW. I appreciate it. I would get to the rest of your calls, but I can't see any names. So we'll get to those momentarily as we get that figured out. But, uh, yes, Biden portrays weakness. And it's the weakness that, that I think causes the rest of our enemies to continue to prey on us. Right? And it causes China. See, part of China's total M.O., is that they want to look strong. They want to look like the world leader. And they're not able to look like the world leader if you have a strong U.S. person uh, representing the United States and whomever that may be, right? And in this instance, it, it behooves them to fly their spy balloon and do this and do that. Because once you do that, then, of course, you're able to to then go to your people and say, well, look at these idiots. Look at how, uh, you know, look at how the Americans are handling this. Uh, this is why we go there. We send our balloons. We flex on them and they do absolutely nothing. Right. And I think that's part of why China does what they do is because they want those headlines. They want to control the narrative um, in in whatever media they can control, i.e. in China and anywhere else around the globe. It's going to be very difficult to say the United States takes strong position against China on what and how they haven't. And that's my point. Coming right back. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
called us. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And um, get your calls in now, 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America is coming right up in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to be getting to all of those calls momentarily, 833-4-VALDEZ. Uh, this is your chance to weigh in any topic, any issue. I'm happy to discuss it. I love connecting with the American people live and late night. But what I wanted to just make a quick mention of was, uh, yes, I'm completely aware that there were mergers and base closures uh, between Air Force bases and, and Army bases um, some years ago. And they no longer call them Air Force bases. They call them uh, joint base whatever. Right. Like in the example I made earlier, Joint Base Andrews. However, I do not like the term. I'm old school. I still believe that, um, you know, men are men, boys are boys, girls are girls, women are women. I believe in that stuff. And I also believe that it's Andrews Air Force Base. And I will continue to call it such as long as I have breath in my lungs. And I will do so inaccurately, but not ignorantly, because that's what I feel like doing. And I will ref I refuse to cow to anyone that tells me how I need to say things. I'm just saying, sometimes I'm a little bit of a rebel. I just won't do it. I identify as Andrews Air Force Base. How about that? Okay. So now I'm in the clear. Now, uh, I wanted to put that out there because I know that we got a, a call on that. Somebody was saying, you know, let them know. I, I know, ma'am. Thank you very much. And I appreciate that. Um, I just don't like the term. <clears throat> now, I wanted to um, focus our attention onto a couple of different things. A few different things that we're going to get to in the upcoming hour. Of course, YouTube pulling down the interview with uh, RFK Jr. and Jordan Peterson, uh, saying that there was uh, disinformation, misinformation, and how it violated their vaccine policy. Uh, again, YouTube's free to do what they want, but at some point, everybody just needs to step back and say, all right, hold on a second. So we've got this guy that's running for president. Don't you think people want to know what he has to say so they could go, wow, that guy's a whack job. I don't want him. Or, wow, that guy's terrific. And that's their fear that you're not smart enough to make up your own mind that, oh, my gosh, if we put Trump on there, if we put RFK on there and we don't censor these people, you might actually get crazy and think that they're making sense. Heavens forbid we have some free thinkers. This is why. I'll never, ever, ever be a collectivist. This is why I'll never side with the crazy lefties because ultimately they believe in, in, in their hubris, in their arrogance, that they know better than you. And this is why I don't work in the government. I worked in the government. I worked with some rel relatively good people. Some people really good. Others, not so good. But some of the people I worked with believed in creating leaderless environments that were run by the communities. And part of the work that I did when I was in state government was to help neighborhood centers. We call them family success centers to launch and to put as many of them as we could. And it was fascinating during a time where we were cutting the budget, you know, governor Christie at the time was cutting the state budget left and right, especially in social services everywhere across the board. There were cuts. People were up in arms. Oh, you're taking away our funding for this, that, and the other thing. But yet, these centers required so little money. I think it was something like $200,000 per year, 40,000 of which went to like a, a director for the center. So it had such a small um, budget 
that they didn't get cut. In fact, they expanded. And I loved the fact that one of the requirements were to have not just community leaders, quote unquote, on the board that made up uh, the boards of these centers, but more so parents, people that had children going to school in that community. And they were the ones that were setting the agenda, saying they wanted parenting education or they wanted domestic violence help or whatever it was, because these things weren't just in poor neighborhoods. They were in rich neighborhoods, too, like Bergen County, New Jersey. So that the idea was that you were offering some sort of support and connectivity amongst the people in a neighborhood to rebuild that old neighborhood feel. And I think when you have people think that way, they don't want you in government. And that's why I'm not there. Anyway, we're coming right back. Open Phone America right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to the program, 8334-VALDEZ is our phone number. If you want to join in, we are live, we are national. It's the Monday night edition, and we are taking your calls on any topic you'd like. One of the topics that I want to bring up this hour in Open Phone America, which, by the way, is a time honored tradition here on this program. This program dates back more than 45 years to Long John Neville, who used to be the uh, 10 o'clock host for, back then it was called Mutual Broadcasting Systems before it was renamed to Westwood One. And Westwood One owns, you know, I don't know, several hundred radio stations through Cumulus Media, and we have another bunch of affiliates that air the program. And after that, it was Larry King, right? The the amazing, late, great Larry King, uh, who did open phone America in this time slot. And uh, what an amazing feature of, of that show it was. And it was continued for 30 years by the late, great Jim Bohannon. God rest his soul. And I count it as an honor and a privilege to speak with Americans from every corner of the country, right? Because we have an affiliate in Alaska, New York City. I mean, you can literally hear this program, maybe not in every single state, but in most of the states and definitely straight across America and back again. So uh, I count that as an honor and a privilege. It's a real blessing to speak with you all. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you all. So give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. And many of you listen to this show know that in the morning I like to get a nice cup of espresso. I take it with milk. It's called cafe con leche. In France, they call it cafe au lait. In Italy, I think they call it a latte. Um, but it's uh, that espresso with the steamed milk, and it's a fantastic uh, way to start your day. And I go, and I go to a guy who is a, uh, a Cuban um, exile that's now an American citizen, came here 20-some-odd years ago on the back of a jet ski, and now owns a small uh, cafeteria, you know, uh, like a, yeah, like a very small, I wouldn't call it quite a restaurant, but it's a, you know, for the lack of a better word, like a bistro. 
And, and he um, and I were talking today, and he tells me, oh, you know, a relative of mine outside of Miami in Hialeah, Florida, tells me that they're, um, they're paying something like three grand a month for a very small apartment. And he says, this stuff is out of control, the way rent is going and the way the cost of living is going. And I said, listen, we're still king over here in this part of the world, right? New York City area, um, the suburbs of New York City, the five boroughs, northern New Jersey. This is always going to be more expensive than the outskirts of, of a big city like Miami, which, again, very uh, unaffordable, which is why I'm still here. Because I'm looking for a place over there. It's just it's going to make sense for me anyway. We're going back and forth, and he's telling me, I think it's more expensive over there. Even in, in, uh, in the lesser desirable parts outside of Miami, it's more expensive. And I said, come on, it's not the case. But according to Shannon Thaler from the New York Post, Miami has topped New York City as the least affordable housing market after the pandemic boom. The surge of transplants to Florida since the pandemic has caused prices to skyrocket, sapping the sunshine state of its main draw, affordability. Listen to this. According to Realty Hop, housing's uh, May affordability index, which compares home ownership costs relative to income, Miami is now the least affordable housing market in the United States. The median price for a home in Florida's big city is $585,000. To be able to afford this, homeowners can expect to spend as much as 79.9% of their monthly income on home ownership expenses. And that's according to Realty Hop. That tops the amount paid by homeowners in Los Angeles, which is 77.5, and Newark, New Jersey, which is 72.4, and New York City, which is 70.6. So just get that right. It's more expensive per percentage-wise to live in Newark, New Jersey, than it is in New York City. Now, again, that's if you believe Realty Hop and their... Um, their methodology for coming up with this. But coming in at number five on the list was another Florida city, Hialeah, <laughs> located about 12 miles northwest of Miami at 65.79%, according to this report. So I say somebody in Hialeah that owns a lot of property, maybe a real estate investment trust or a group of investors said, you know, let's build some nice stuff in, in Hialeah. It'll be more affordable. It's only 65% uh, of, of, you know, one's, um, economic situation that's going to be required to live here. So let's do that and we'll put it into this report and maybe people will start buying here a little bit more than they're buying in Miami and the outskirts of Miami. I don't know. Maybe I'm onto something, maybe not. But that's what this report says. Now, I want to go to you guys. I don't know if you buy it, if you don't buy it. We're talking about everything from China to RFK Jr. to any of the stories we've talked about on the program and anything else that's on your mind. Let us start with George in Topeka, Kansas. K-M-A-J. George, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, sir. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Hey, so I've got two questions, one on the left, one on the right for you. Would you really ha rather have me prioritize? I don't care. Go for it. Rapid fire. Okay, so um, as far as RFK goes, I I like the guy, so I'm a libertarian. I, I like him. I can't say I love him. Um, I, I believe a lot what he's saying. I do find it a little curious, the timing, and it makes me wonder if a lot of Biden supporters have secretly dropped on him and they're supporting him. I'd like to know where a lot of that funding is coming from. Um, because he kind of 
came out of nowhere. Um, well, so just to, to speak to that, I mean, generally um, a year, a year and a half, six months out from a presidential election, you're going to find lots of candidates that are coming out of nowhere. <clears throat> this is the time to proverbially throw your hat in the ring. And when you are a Kennedy, uh, A, you come from money and B, um, you're a candidate. So you're going to be fundraising. I, I can't imagine that there's not a group of Democrats out there that's thinking, you know, we don't like Biden. Let's send him a message by putting a, a little bit of uh, energy into this Kennedy campaign, if, if for nothing else, just to get his attention so that they could say, hey, look, you know what? You know how he got that little uh, jump in the polls there? That was because we, you know, we, we put together a pack and our pack raised $10 million and we're, we're already reaping the rewards of that. Now, you could easily get on board, Joe Biden, if you jump on board with our special interest and we can forget about him. You know, I mean, this is how politics works, right? It's always about raising money and organizing people. Those are the two goals of how it works. And it seems like they're definitely doing things. So I don't think the timing is so curious because I think this is when you do that. Now, if the thought is, I mean, why now and not in the past? That's, I guess, a valid question. But again, I would think it's Joe Biden, right? I think, you know, um, people, all sorts of people, I think, are considering a run for president because there's very limited bench on the Democrat side. Uh, there's very limited interest and even people that aren't on the bench. You know, some people say Gavin Newsom. I mean, they're just he's not a great candidate. So I think if there were ever a time to try to get behind somebody and, and see something that isn't there, RFK is probably the guy, George. OK, now, as far as on the right, um, Trump, I'm going on the assumption that I'm going to go on the assumption that Trump will be the Republican nominee. I, I'm very curious on the the vice president nominee. Do you feel like he is going to pick somebody that's going to help him win or somebody that's going to have a better chance at keeping a president in the Republican Party after he wins? Because a few names that pop into my mind, uh, Ted Cruz, who I feel like would be a great, uh, great vice, but you know, you're taking him away from the Senate. Um, you know, Ron right. Swamy's young, um, the Libertarian Party where I'm at, you know, I really, I'm a Rand Paul guy, um, sure. there's a few, and, um, Tim Scott, I really like Tim Scott. Do you feel like some of these people are, are in it to just be the vice president? Um, here's what I think, George. I think that, uh, all of these guys are hoping that their campaign will take off and that, what they see in the mirror every day, everybody else will see. And lamentably, that doesn't always happen for most candidates, right? Uh, most candidates start off thinking, man, I'm the best candidate because of X, Y, and Z. But they're never able to articulate that message to enough people because of money and time and their own ability to craft messaging that that's that effective and that succinct. Uh, or to overcome the rest of the noise, right? Especially if you're running against a guy like Donald Trump. Now, with respect to all the guys you mentioned, uh, I, I don't think Tim Scott is running for vice president. I think Tim Scott wants to be president. I do believe that Tim Scott um, is a realist and he, he's politically savvy. He's a United States senator. So he realizes that that may be an option and it's a plan B that he may be open to. And I think uh, Ramaswamy, same thing. I think he'd love to be president. Uh, and if not, maybe he would consider uh, a VP spot. Uh, I think that's the case for, for 
a lot of people, you know, that they'd be open to it. Now, some of the people you mentioned, um, like Ted Cruz, um, I don't think Ted Cruz is anybody's VP material. Uh, I don't think um, Governor DeSantis is anybody's VP material. I think these guys <clears throat> are are um, they're trying to be the guy. Right. And that that's that's what they want to be. And that's if they work at it enough, they will be. Right. I mean, me personally, I think Cruz is great at everything he's doing and he'd be great as honestly, I'd love to see Ted Cruz on the Supreme Court uh, with a lifetime appointment. He's a young man. He's a brilliant um, legal theorist. I think he'd be great. But that's not something I think he wants to do. I think he'd like to be president one day and he's willing to, you know, pay the political price that you have to pay to get there time and and keep building. And he's certainly building. So I think that's the case there. Um, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if Trump cinches the nomination. It seems to me that he's uh, well poised to do it, considering there's a a new poll out, uh, I think a day ago, that says that statistically speaking, Trump and Biden are tied. 48 Biden, 44 Trump, and it's within the margin of error of four points. And Jonathan Carl from ABC This Week, he was shocked that, that it was that close considering the entire poll was conducted after Trump was indicted and after all of the barrage of cast of characters that they have out there uh, that are out there trashing him. So I think uh, Americans uh, are, are tired of Biden and and they're also looking past uh, Trump's uh, alleged transgressions because they realize this is likely a politicized persecution prosecution. Anyway, um, that's my cue to take a pause. But George, great questions. Thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody in Kansas on KMAJ. Your calls and more coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Taking your calls on everything that we've discussed tonight, and we've got lots of topics on the table. We're talking about Taiwan. We're talking about spying. We're talking about, of course, everything going on in the United States, or as I like to say, America. At night, let's go to Michigan, check in with Kim, who's listening online. Go right ahead, Kim. Hi, Rich. Hey. Um, yeah. Um, I'm calling, I think you talked about this on Friday, but I just read the story today about the Penn State College professor and he had caught in that predicament. What uh, a weirdo. He was he, messing around with his own dog. running naked except for a mask and hiking boots and a backpack. And yeah, but that was in his house. Backpack. The stuff he did in public is what he got caught for. <laughs> he did it in public and he would run naked and 
this Pennsylvania park system, and they put up um, trail cams, the conservation officers did. And they caught him by tracking down his license plate from the parking lot because nobody could identify him because he wore a mask and would run with naked with hiking boots. And then he would stop here, and then they caught him masturbating on camera. And then they actually caught him, I guess, on camera having relations with his poor collie dog. And I'll tell you. Absolutely insane. I know. And that poor dog. And he's been doing this. When they came to his house, he begged the two conservation officers to shoot him. He said, my life is over. He said, I've been doing this for 10 years. He said, it's how I release tension. Yeah, he said he was blowing off steam. again. And just so everybody knows, this is Professor... Themis Matsukas, a professor of engineering at Penn State University, 64 years old. Uh, he was uh, arrested and charged um, last week for allegedly um, being, you know, for everything Kim just said, including um, relations with his own dog. I mean, absolutely crazy. And his quote, I do it to blow off steam. And you're right. He did ask the cops to, to blow him away. And uh, I mean... I don't envy this guy, right? I don't want to be in his shoes. I'm glad I'm not in his shoes. He, he's he's in rough shape. And, um, you know, whatever happens, happens, right? I mean, he, he, he dug this hole for himself. Yeah, yeah. And can I say one thing about why Blinken got treated so bad in China? Yeah, quickly. Okay, quickly. Um, the reason he's getting treated bad and Biden's getting treated bad is the whole world knows that China, Russia, and Ukraine have the whole Biden family by the short ones. And we all know it. The world knows it. That's why Biden and, and Blinken and Biden, Blinken, and stupid are getting treated like that. Do you agree? Yeah, you know, it, it definitely seems to me like these guys are compromised. They're incredibly sympathetic to what China's doing. Um, uh, again, Biden has always taken a very dismissive approach against anything that they do that, in my opinion, is egregious, like um, killing people because of their their faith or because of where they live in China, like the Uyghur Muslims in uh, the region or country formerly known as Turkmenistan where they came from. I mean, the, the whole thing is, is out of control. And I feel like Blinken is just um, doing as he's told. Biden is doing as he's told. And they're doing exactly as they want to do um, while making us look incredibly weak throughout. And it's really a shame. It really, really is. Uh, I, I hate to, to see our country in this shape because I think, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen us be tough. I've seen us be strong. I've seen us be on top. And we're none of those things right now. Kim, thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. Let's go to Jane, Clifton Park, New York. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hey, Jane. Um, I just want to mention something kind of off that center. Yeah, quickly, because um, we're down to the I'm, wire. Okay. Oh, okay. Jill Biden, how in the world does a woman sit back, a woman with any decency, and watch what is happening to her husband? Yeah. Interesting point. You're right. A lot of people say she should be brought up on charges of elder abuse because, you know, um, she's. But the thing is, I don't believe that Joe Biden's totally clueless. I do believe he gets lost and he's past his prime for sure. But one thing he knows how to do 
is be a crooked politician. He could do it in his sleep, and she's helping him. She's the accomplice. Jane, thanks for the call. We're coming right back. America, welcome back. We continue at Open Phone America. We're going to go to Boise, Idaho. Check in with our friend Paul, KBOI. Paul, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I, yes, sir. Uh, Blinken's going to make it back to the states tonight if he's not already here. But the thing that comes to mind is a, a newsreel that showed Neville Chamberlain with a piece of paper in his hand, and he all smiles as he gets off the airplane in 1938 because he got Adolf Adolf Hitler's signature on that piece of paper saying that he wouldn't go to war with the United Kingdom. I think we all know how that turned out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, I I hope that's that's not the case, but I I think that's right uh, in, in many ways, right? I do believe that Biden's goal in life is to just subsist with China. It's not to to weaken them. It's not to slow them down. It's not to compete. It's not to be an adversary. It's just simply to can't we all just get along and, and just just coexist. And I think that weak mentality um, benefits him because of whatever financial arrangements he has. And that's fine, but I think it's not good for the country, obviously. And this is ultimately going to hurt us, Paul. And it's hurting us as as we speak. Right now, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I have friends in the conspiracy theorist community, and all weekend long they were sending me um, different clips of, of, you know, look to me like National Guard drills and things like that, but... You know, what they turned it into was, you know, massive military mobilization. China's coming to get us. And, and I just thought, you know, uh, I don't think China's coming to get us. I don't think they want a hot war. They, they, they're doing so well with their new version of a Cold War and what they call unrestricted warfare, where they, they, they have so many, you know, like the old saying, there's so many ways to skin a cat. They, they are skinning this cat so many ways from the investment that they have in the United States that were kind of so attached at the hip to their influence and involvement in higher education. And as we can obviously see the amount of sway they have over American politicians. You know, you look at uh, Jamie Raskin, you look at uh, Eric Swalwell, you look at Joe Biden, uh, so many influential politicians that just turn a blind eye to everything going on with China. And it makes you just really question how much, right? How much have you been able to earn? And, you know, what, what is the price? I know there's a lot of people that say everybody has a price and that may be true, but I mean, it seems to be the handful of suspects all the time, the same usual suspects. And it's a shame, Paul. Well, well, he, Biden happened to get that billion dollar loan, uh, interest-free loan. And it's, it's funny. I don't think he ever got the, uh, 
paid taxes on that. I think that well, money is still sitting in Chinese banks where it's not going to get touched. Let me tell you, if that's the case, um, I'm pretty sure he's going to get in trouble for that because uh, a lot of people feel that Hunter Biden is going to eventually be inv- indicted on on tax evasion and uh, p- possibly on on a on a violation related to his inappropriate procurement of a uh, gun license. I don't know what that means for him to get indicted. Um, if it has the effect that it's had on Trump, you know, Hunter Biden can run for president. Right? <laughs> I don't think it's going to deter. You know, I think uh, Biden will easily turn around and say, my, my son Hunter is the smartest guy. Nobody made a mistake. Come on. Ice cream. Texas. Jill, my sister. He made a mistake. Come on. And, and you know, once he just does a bunch of these incoherent statements, uh, those, oh, you know, he's, the kid's an addict. He, you know, he made a mistake. And, and, and it'll just be sympathy and they'll downplay it and nobody will ask any serious questions, maybe except for, uh, you know, a few people on talk radio and, of course, Peter Ducey in, in, in the uh, press corps. And that's it. And it'll be a one or two day thing and it'll continue to go right along the way they like it to go along. But that's ultimately how I see it. Anyway, we will continue. Paul, thank you for the call. Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Big shout out to everybody out there. Uh, let's go now a little bit further south. Let's go to South Carolina. Check in with WTMA and our buddy Robert in Charleston. Go right for it. Go ahead. Okay, uh, Rich, I just wanted to say something about the GPS system. But before I get to it, I just heard you talk about Neville Chamberlain. Actually, if it weren't for Neville Chamberlain, Hitler could have won the war because when when, when Neville Chamberlain gave Hitler um, the Sudetenland, Hitler, that delayed the hot war for a whole year. And Hitler got uh, distracted a little bit during that whole year. And Well, just to correct the record, I wasn't talking about Neville Chamberlain. Somebody called in and spoke about Neville Chamberlain. Uh, but... Point taken. Uh, let us um, talk about this GPS. I'm curious. You're talking about a GPS for tracking children. Tell me about it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, remember last time we talked, it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, you, we, we, I, I suggested to you that you could put actually GPS devices in the, in, in the heels of children's, small children's shoes so that they could be found. And then you said, oh, I don't think we want to have that. But then I, I thought to myself, maybe you were concerned about the RF that would be coming out in the radio frequency. But actually, they could be turned on, those devices could be turned on remotely, and therefore there would be no RS, RF coming out unless, of course, you needed it in order to find the child. So that could be done. I just want to better let you know about yeah, that. Yeah, no, you know, and honestly, my concern about that's not really RF. It's more practicality because little kids, their feet grow very quickly and then you have to change the shoe very often. Um, now, if it's like a air tag or something like that, that you would be putting in um, the, the shoe uh, in some, you know, um, clandestine way, then that's, that's a, a, an interesting thing. People might want to put it in a backpack. I can tell you, I mean, mo- most people use a very popular application I think it's called Life 360, and you're able to track all sorts of things. You know, as long as your kid has the one thing they can't live without, their cell phone. Uh, it tracks their cell phone. It shows you how fast they're going, where they're located, and it's ra- rather effective. And if you pay more every month, you get more features out of it. So um, those things kind of exist. But little kids, I think, might lose their phones uh, more more often than not, and that way, that's one way. And the other thing is, 
obviously, if they're ever kidnapped, God forbid, somebody might take their phone immediately and just throw it in the sewer and then you're done, which is where having the the tracker on their person somehow would be helpful. I just think uh, a lot of people would take exception to obviously putting a chip in their kid. I would never recommend that the way people do it with their dogs. And and on the flip side of that, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's a good topic, Robert. Honestly, I would never have wanted to do that to my kids. But I'm wondering uh, what people think of that today. And maybe we should do an open phones on that um, tonight or tomorrow or something. Find out what would you microchip your kid if you were, you know, if you needed to know where they were. Uh, I would not, but I'd love to know. Thank you for bringing it up. I appreciate it. Uh, and for your to- your other comments as well on World War II. All right. Big shout out to Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. We're coming right back with more calls on the economy and more. Plus, talking about dogs, I have a dog story that I don't think I've shared on the air yet. I think I told uh, Mr. Hinton in the control room, but a very funny dog story that happened to me last week. So I'll share that with you. And plus, I'll give you a little bit of uh, what happened with Father's Day as well. More to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We continue with your calls. Uh, I just wanted to give you an update here on, let me see, there's more stores leaving San Francisco. AT&T has now announced they're taking their flagship store and they're closing it down because things are just too crazy in San Francisco. This is the place where the cops once told people, listen, you don't want your, your windows to get broken? Take everything out of your car, leave the windows open. If the windows are open, they won't break them. This is what they told them. That was a couple of years ago. And also, I don't have anything to report on this missing submarine that used to go sightseeing around the Titanic. But apparently there's an entire submarine that's missing. So Godspeed to all of them. I hope they find it. I don't know what's going on. Um, looking to find an expert. But I don't know if I should call like a psychic medium or somebody that was like an admiral on a, uh, on a, on a ship. To, to give us a, a walkthrough on that. This is a tough one. But anyway, I want to continue with your calls. Pam has been patiently holding. Bethany, Missouri, listening online. Pam, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi. Hi. I wanted to tell you I'm concerned about this digital dollar. It's supposed to roll out in July. If you go to Fed One, the, I think our government is keeping us looking in so many directions, the things that they want to push on us. Um, have you heard of the environmental social government? Oh, yeah, ESG. the ESG. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and Fed and now, ESG. yeah, this is like the, the first step in, in making that marriage. Then that means every one of us will have a digital ID. And I'm on Social Security. I'm 72 years old. 
And that is what I live on, is Social Security. Mm-hmm. And that is a concern. And I think they got us looking at all these other things. And even poor Trump, he can't even get a lawyer because they threaten anybody that will go, you know, it's almost yeah. like they have a hit out on anybody that will help him. You know, you make so, so many so- good points. Uh, just to talk about the Trump part before we talk about the uh, digital dollar, the CBDC. <clears throat> With respect to Trump, I was looking at uh, the, the big stories of the day this morning at different news outlets, and a couple of outlets were talking about this missing submarine. All the rest of the major news outlets were talking about Trump in one capacity or another. And I, I, don't, I don't remember if it was the USA Today, but I think it might have been, or, or, or MSNBC, one of the two. When, at the time that I went, their number one story at the top of, of their um, headlines was will there still be enough time to hold Trump's lawyers accountable? And I had a picture of Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. And I thought to myself, what is going on here? Why is a a story that's, I don't know, at least 18 months old, uh, or at least that, of Rudy Giuliani being raided and all for his involvement with being Trump's lawyer, which again was a very horrible violation of, of of due process rights in the Constitution. But all that aside, why is that the number one story on a Monday when Blinken is in China? And, yeah, I mean, there's many things to report on. Not will we be able to hold Trump's lawyers accountable. And, of course, that's a testament to how crooked the media actually is. But, moreover, the overarching point here, Pam, for me, is that they just absolutely love this stuff. They love to talk about Trump and going after the bad guy. So I think you're right on that. They will not give him a fair break. They, they want to go after every lawyer. They want to make an example of those lawyers. And, and they, want, they want the world to see, look, if you think that you could be popular and be a good lawyer and you want to defend Trump, we'll destroy you the same way we're, we've been working diligently to destroy America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, uh, a great patriot who's, who's great at what he does. And they, they try to make him look um, as, as bad as possible. So I think you're right on that. Now, back to this digital dollar, the central bank digital currency. And, of course, this is how they do everything, right? The government loves to sneak things through the cracks, Pam. So what they do is they will launch this in a very innocuous way. They'll say, look, we're not imposing this on the people. This is going to be just for for banking institutions. It's only going to be allowed uh, for for those in our – for the Federal Reserve – and the certified participants that are banks already and for us to exchange money amongst each other. And they'll do that as a pilot program for a little while until everybody seems like, oh, all right, you know, I'm OK with it. And then they'll say we want to roll this out for the people. Now, I believe that they're going to need um, Congress on board and I don't know that they're going to have Congress on board. So I think this is the time to make noise. But it's it's fascinating how I know they're going to say, you know, critics of the digital dollar are going to say that it's this, that and the other. But in fact, it's not. And because it's not available yet to the public. So they're going to use that to their advantage to try and misinform and disinform people. But you were correct when you said, you know, the, the, the way that you're living right now, you're living off of Social Security. There's a lot of Americans doing the same thing. I know my dad did uh, before. <clears throat> He passed away. That was a big part of, of his monthly income. And and 
it's important to so many Americans. And to think that your position on things might be scored because of uh, the environmental social governance score, the ESG score, and that your digital dollars could be turned off or turned on or only allowed to be used a certain way because the control of those dollars is with the government is a scary thought and one that should never happen in America beyond where it is now. And if, if we're smart, we'll get our members of Congress to act to make sure that they can't even use it amongst the Federal Reserve and, and amongst the, uh, the participating banks. I think that's something that needs to stop now before they try to put it on We the People, Pam. I just didn't want people to uh, have this happen and not know it is going to happen because they could really mess a lot of people up, controlling us and mm-hmm. taking away our Second Amendments and, you know. And I You're think right. Congress isn't even aware of some of a shadow government. We got one. And they do want to take over. And it's sad that I know Jesus is coming back. Well, thank God for that. Oh, you bet, Pam. It's my pleasure to talk to you. And I say cheer up. Don't feel too badly about it. Uh, I think that there's a lot of fight left in this dog and many other great Americans that are out there that we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that this doesn't happen. Thanks for the call, Pam. Big shout out to everybody in Bethany, Missouri. And um, we're going to continue with your calls and my commentary. And we're going to wrap this thing up straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And the battle for power continues. And by power, I mean, who's in charge of anything anymore, right? We've got our our representatives and senators holding people accountable in hearings. And the people they're holding accountable seem to just be clueless. Uh, And again, many of them playing dumb, right? They're doing exactly what they want to do, like leaving the back door open while saying, oh, my gosh, people keep coming into the country. Well, of course, that's what's going to happen if you don't really secure the border and you say the border is secure, but then you send a thousand troops down there. And then we got video of some of those troops opening up doors in the gate and letting people right in, uh, creating an app to allow people to come right into the country. And Senator Rand Paul was ripping into uh, Alejandro Mayorkas uh, over disinformation being perpetuated by our own government. Listen to this. Do we have guardrails? Do we have yeah, standards? But here's the problem. Ensure, we can't even mean, agree. We can't even me. agree what disinformation is. This is you well, can't even agree that it was disinformation, that the Russians fed information to the Steele dossier. If you can't agree to that, how are we ever going to come to an agreement on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? 
And this is part of the, the problem that we have, right? When they created that disinformation governance board. That's why I say, look, we have to do what's right for us as Americans. And this is why I love talk radio, especially when you're live and national at night and you get to talk to people all over the country. It's because this program really is your, right? It's your program. It's your platform. And that's why I love speaking with you. So free speech lives here. Feel free to give us a call. Tonight is uh, over, but tomorrow we'll be back at it. That's why I always say hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. And we're going to do it all over again tomorrow with some of the most amazing guests you've ever heard. And we're going to cover all of the hot stories. So don't go anywhere because there's more on this station. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of season two of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.